We challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity and sustainability. Gary and Danami, indeed. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift. Um, all spirits are welcome here from all corners. Uh, we might be a little bit out of step with the Australian government on that one. I want to thank uh, Quentin for another Friday Neon. And today's show is about Australia's refugee crisis. Long before the birth of nation states, human beings were constantly on the move across this planet. They did so for many reasons, cold, famine, fire, drought, war, the list is endless. In response to the refugee crisis arising from wars in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria, the Italian government adopted a policy of Mare Nostrum, which is Latin for our sea, and they're referring there, of course, to the Mediterranean. The central government in Italy gave instructions for Italian towns and cities to house refugees. Sadly, the Mafia took, took over. The Mafia Capital investigations revealed that the Mafia profited from the migrant crisis and exploited refugees. Pope Francis thanked the Italian Navy for their um, migrant res rescue effort, which prevented many drownings in the Mediterranean Sea. However, it also led to the overpopulation of an island like the one off the coast of Sicily. It's called Lampedusa. One of the UN um, refugee rights advocates from Australia, Pamela Kerr, she said about some of the refugees that were on that island um, when their bodies were brought ashore, they did not drown, they died of thirst. The refugee, the, the UN worker, told her. In the busy shipping lanes of the Mediterranean, 75 Eritrean men, women and children died of thirst in an open boat. The five survivors told a UN worker who cared for them that 10 ships witnessed their plight and sailed away. This is the dark side of de uh, dehumanising asylum seeker system. Now we look to Australia's situation where many have died at sea, uh, trying to get to this so-called promised land. So wind forward to uh, this week and two major events highlighted the crisis situation in the refugee, um, the, the refugee crisis here in, in Brisbane, actually. The first one was on Sunday, a national tertiary education Union member 
who was a supporter of the refugees held under the Medivac legislation in the Kangaroo Point hotel apartments. He was brutally assaulted by a member of the Queensland Police Force, knocked him to the ground uh, with a coward's punch from behind. Now, to get to gauge the response from that person's union, I interviewed the State Secretary of the Union, Michael McNally. Let's hear what Michael had to say. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, sure, my name is Michael McNally and I'm the Secretary of the NTEU Queensland Division, the National Tertiary Education Union. Can you describe what happened to the NTEU member at the demonstration outside the Kangaroo Point Apartments on Sunday? Uh, well, I've only seen the footage, Ian, so I'm, I'm, this is not a report that, of something that I witnessed firsthand, but the short clip that I've seen that doesn't show any of the things that happened beforehand shows one of our members uh, standing, he appears to be holding a fence uh, with some other protesters and it appears that a policeman comes in and hits him from behind, sort of in the side of his head, ear region, knocking him to the ground. It's quite a... I was really quite shocked to see that and, you know, it, it, uh, it looked terrible and, and um, you know, the, the person who was attacked ended up being hospitalised and staying in, in, uh, in the Mater Hospital overnight. So it was, a, it was a serious attack. Senior police responded after looking at the same footage that you saw and they said that the conduct of the officer was appropriate in the circumstances. How do you respond to that? Well, obviously the circumstances as they're assessed by police are different to those as they're assessed. Uh, from a, a lay person's point of view, all I could see was a, a person who appeared to be protesting peacefully, who was attacked from behind. I don't see how that's uh, appropriate in the circumstances. So I guess if, you know, if he'd been threatening someone's life or, or you know, provoking police directly, you know, challenging their authority, there might have been some reason for some sort of level of restraint. But um, you know, restraining him. But there didn't appear to be any of that. Again, I've only seen the footage, so know all of the circumstances, but to me, I don't see how that's defensible. There must have been other ways of, you know, de-escalating the situation that didn't include violence. I mean, I, I don't know whether they talked to him to him at length beforehand, encouraged him to move away from the fence or, or um, what other things they'd done, but that level of violence, you know, for me personally, it's it's not acceptable. Our, our members don't condone violence in any way, shape or form, uh, particularly not when it's used to uh, used against people who appear to be you know, peacefully protesting against what's a terrible situation there at Kangaroo Point where refugees have been locked up indefinitely for a, a significant period of time. Has the union participated in previous demonstrations there to support the refugees? Yeah, we've got a couple of um, members and ex-members who've taken a very keen interest in that particular protest um, and we have advertised it to our members more generally. It's a bit hard. We've had some of our members who work in public health, etc., saying we shouldn't be encouraging protesting in a time of a, a global pandemic and you know, we, we have a broad and very informed um, membership, Ian, so we have to take all those views into consideration. But I, I, I know personally some of the members who've been going down there regularly. But the member who was attacked is one of those members who's been going there regularly and protesting regularly. 
and you know for good reason the 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 whole situation there and and you know this goes for the police as well i'm not seeking to defend their actions but that space is a totally inappropriate space for um, detaining refugees it means that the protests are in a really bad space it means that that whole environment is completely toxic and you know it's all very emotional i was speaking to one of the other members uh, who's been attending those those rallies and it's a very emotional situation because you've got um men on the inside with you know women and children families on the outside um there's people who are ill there's self-harm it's a really terrible situation I have just this last few minutes received a message from one of the people detained originally in that facility and then he was moved forcibly to the Brisbane immigration transit accommodation in a higher security facility and I believe that's what originally sparked off this wave of protest and of course on the day in question that your member was there it was sparked by an attempted suicide but i just read out what the uh, the refugee has just uh, sent this morning around 7:30 while i was doing my daily routine exercise i was approached by uh, a circo manager saying that the the immigration people want to talk to me i walked to the interview room and as soon as i sat down four officers walked into the room confiscated my phone saying you're going to be transferred i asked where they said we don't know i was not told anything officially about what is the reason and where i'll be taken i was taken to the airport then to sydney and now i am in the villawood detention center in that place without any formal explanation how do you respond to that oh god and that's that is that is devastating um i find it difficult to comprehend how we as a society can allow these things to occur that's and speaking you know, speaking as a unionist our union our union's policy is one of fair and and reasonable treatment of asylum seekers and refugees it's not one of arbitrary detention doing that to someone a human being i don't understand how in a modern society a developed society we can allow that kind of treatment of any human being that we have a, a duty of care for and once an asylum seeker is here they're in our duty of care so that kind of treatment and your listeners will be recoiling in horror at that and you know as i am that's just unconscionable and that's why you know but that's why the union movement has a history of fighting for refugee rights refugee rights are human rights and human rights are important to everyone workers know that human rights are the basis on which um you know worker rights are founded and and it's only through protest that we've been able to achieve anything um the labor movement has done a great job in my view in in supporting refugee rights in particular but you know human rights in general the uh, refugee action collective and the refugee solidarity group that jointly organized the protests at kangaroo point they've called a rally for 5pm at emma miller place tomorrow will you yes. be encouraging your members to go along to that protest i i know that some of our members will be going i know that some of our staff are, are intending to go um and you know a, a lot of our members will go in response to the 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 attack that occurred on on sunday yeah they feel they can. 
whether it's writing to their local member or whoever it is, to try and stop this interminable detention of these people who are human beings and need to be treated as such. Yo, 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 yo,
beautiful song is called Map of a Kind by Peter Hunt. He wrote the song when he was returning from a flight to Arionga, which is 200 kilometres southwest of Alice Springs. It's a small indigenous town in the McDonald Ranges. And he brought in a number of different musical influences. Uh, It's a crossing of influences, I suppose. And it's a kind of map for what our spirit may be. So he worked with a Zimbabwean friend, Russell, in West End, and they were playing with the, his recording trumpet and his uh, on his mimbira, the traditional Zimbabwean uh, instrument, and uh, they, they were playing the songs together. And Russell said, yeah, that's nice, but you can play it like this. And as they held down the chord shapes... He kind of slap strummed in an offbeat version on the strings of the of the embera. So <laughs> that's how we got that song. It's quite a complex one. Anyway, on the twen- on the tenth of October, twenty twenty, I listened to a speech um, by a long time refugee activist Ian Rintoul in King George Square here in Brisbane. This voice of experience said that we're in the trenches. It's very hard to get the refugees out of detention. Only a small number of people had turned up in the square that day. But the speaker said the refugee campaigners only had had a couple of small victories, including getting refugees their mobile phones back so that they could communicate with their families and their kids. But that's about it. The numbers were down and he said, we've got no traction in getting refugees out of the Kangaroo Point prison or the Mantra Hotel in Melbourne. But then something changed this week. Firstly, we had the vicious assault on the union member, and then we had another event, which I'll let Ian Rintoul describe to you now. Can you please introduce yourself? 
<laughs> yes, okay, yeah, my name's uh, Ian Rintoul. I'm a spokesperson for the Refugee Action uh, Coalition in Sydney as a rule, but, um, you know, now in, now in Queensland for the last couple of months, uh, so with the Refugee Action uh, Collective in Brisbane. How long have you been dealing with Australia's refugee crisis, or don't you characterise it as a crisis? <laughs> uh, it's certainly a, it's certainly a rolling crisis, um, but uh, we first set up the Refugee Action Coalition in the, with December 1999. Actually, um, we'd held a few demonstrations at Villawood uh, during that year, and um, you know set up Rack. You know what's that? You know, 21 years ago. On the 10th of October, you made a speech about how the refugee movement is down to fighting in the trenches. What did you mean by that? The, the movement itself has gone through many, many different, uh, you know, periods uh, and different, you know, ups and downs in the the level of struggle, uh, both inside and outside, you know, detention centres, the responses of governments, political parties. Um, I think at the moment, um, yeah, I think we are. Well, you are in a period of, you know, of, you know, of trench warfare where. Uh, we've got a very, very, you know, belligerent government um, that's, you know, that is very, uh, you know, determined to push through its anti-refugee policies. On the other hand, we have got a very, um, a very solid uh, refugee m- movement, uh, you know, of, you know, tens of thousands, and perhaps more than tens of thousands, uh, who are, you know, understand the, the refugee issue, uh, adamantly opposed, you know, to the, you know, to the government. We haven't got a critical mass which allows us to push forward, um, but it certainly you know managed to hold the line. So I uh, you know simply describe the situation at the moment. I see as you know we are in the trenches holding the line against the government. Uh, that was most recently obvious with the mobile phone bill. Um, you know it's not the most central question about offshore detention or indefinite detention, but nonetheless you know the movement you know was able to hold the line against the government's attempt to uh, take phones off people inside the you know the detention centres but uh, we're not yet you know able to actually press forward to push them back on the central questions of what they're doing in the in the offshore detention centres or the you know the hotel prisons or the detention centres in Australia I received a message from a refugee who was forcefully removed yesterday from the Brisbane immigration transit accommodation to Villawood in Sydney and I'd like to play to you uh, an excerpt from an interview that the Paradigm Shift did with him when he was detained in the Kangaroo Point Hotel accommodation there under the uh, the Medivac laws. So I wonder if I could... I'll just uh, transfer this yep. sound and you listen to it and then I'm going to ask you a few questions about what he has to say. <laughs> OK. Um, before that, you were on Manus Island? Yeah, on Manus Island. So that was a, a long time, six years on Manus Island. Yes, I ended up uh, in Manus Island and uh, actually I was transferred there forcefully by uh, at the end of August 2013 and then left PNG on last year July, so almost six years. And, I mean, it was a very... Uh, bare place of accommodation, the detention centre at Manus Island. There were issues over the years with uh, violence from the locals and uh, a lot of mental health issues with people that were stuck there at Manus Island. How did you find that time? Well, to be honest, that was 
that was a very challenging time. Now, when I think about, you know, when I drag myself to past six years, sometimes I'm just uh, amazed. How how did I survive that super tough situation on Manus Island? Uh, firstly, this is a man who was forcibly removed off a boat. Then he must have been in on Christmas Island. Then he was forcibly removed to Manus Island. Then he was forcibly removed from Manus Island to uh, Port Moresby. And then under the Medivac legislation, he was brought to the Kangaroo Point Hotel Mo uh, Apartments. And then he was forcibly removed from there despite a very concerted campaign by solidarity activists to prevent that. But after 36 hours, he was forcibly removed um, to the Brisbane Immigration Transit Accommodation. And then only 24 hours ago, he was then handcuffed, his phone taken off him and forcibly removed to Villawood. Now, just how can that happen? Yeah, look, there's so many things, I think, to raise, you know, by the, you know, the refugee campaign about questions of jurisdiction and things which are so obviously in violation of basic human rights and generally everything that people understand, you know, about the way, you know, the system works or is meant to operate. I mean, people who are found to be refugees and are resident in Papua New Guinea or resident in Nauru can nonetheless, you know, be picked up by Australian authorities and forcibly brought to, you know, to, you know, to Australia or their capacity to go anywhere else from Papua New Guinea or Nauru is totally determined by, you know, the, Austra the Australian government, even though they are refugees, you know, living in another, living in another country. It is a, an astounding situation, I think, which reveals a lot about the way, you know, so-called, you know, democracies, you know, democracies work and the rights that, you know, the people, you know, actually have. But, but Fahad's story is the story of all the people who were, you know, captured when they came in 2013 and were victims of the uh, the Rudd government's policies at the, you know, at the time, and then subsequently embellished by, you know, the uh, by Ab the Abbott government and Morrison, you know, subsequently. So people were they were captured, and under the the uh, the, the law at the time, they were then removed to the offshore places of Manus, you know, Manus and Nauru, where they remained under Australia's, you know, hold, even though they were in in uh, you know offshore countries so uh, the the law was then uh, it was changed uh, in uh, 2014 so that the people who were sent offshore because not not everybody who arrived in Christmas Island after 2013 was sent offshore only about half the people who did arrive in Christmas Island were victimized in that particular way but those people remain under the migration act now as transitory persons um, which gives the Australian government enormous control you know over their lives regardless of the fact that they've been put in you know nominally and 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 live uh, relatively freely and nominally um, you know sovereign countries of you know, Manus and uh, PNG and you know and Nauru once they're in Australia's jurisdiction uh, they they they're totally under control you know of border force and of uh, you know and of Serco and and uh, subsequent to all the the arbitrary transfers arbitrary removals you know search and seizure inside the uh, detention centers arbitrary punishments you know people are able to be uh, effectively you know arrested and punished inside individual detention centers or the under 
undergo, you know, um, know, transfers, which effectively, you know, punishment treatments by being moved between detention centres, sometimes put in isolation um, with absolutely no recourse. Uh, The the rights that people have inside detention centres are, in that respect, far less than what people have in the criminal jurisdictions and the actions of the authorities are far less subject to, um, you know, legal, you know, legal review. So it is, um, you know, a bubble, if you like, uh, which is... um, very, very difficult to, for the you know for the legal jurisdictions to you know to penetrate, and when they when it is penetrated, um, they're very often you know the, the the liberals and Labor have collaborated to actually shift the law to ensure that the law um, you know is is changed in uh, in favour of the government and against the refugees.
Coffee for Home, drop by the Coffee Roaster on the corner of Montague Road and Anthony Street West End to roast your own coffee. Their in-house designed and manufactured Piccolo Chinook small batch coffee roaster allows you to roast coffee the way you want in only 15 minutes. With the choice of over 50 coffee origins to choose from, you can roast an award-winning single origin or create your own tasty new blend. The Coffee Roaster, sponsors of 4ZZZ.
you're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian and that uh, song just bit prior to this word from our sponsor, it's called Carry Me and it's by Peter Hunt. You may have guessed that we're featuring his new album today. It's called Vessel and that song is a very interesting song that was, I think, invented to a shaker loop and that came from Zimbabwean... Mbira influences that Peter picked up when he was in Zimbabwe and he learned that instrument from a Mbira master and he was working on other songs he is from a band called Kui which many people would know both here in Brisbane West End and Mwilambar Malambimbi and Byron Bay and up the north coast as well and uh, it's sort of um it was a, it was he was working on a composition of one of those song a song from Kui, but he came up with this um, very interesting carry me and I bet some of the refugees in the the KP prison in in Kangaroo Point uh, would like to have those lyrics of freedom actually brought to them. So we're going to go now back to Ian Rintoul, who's from the Refugee Action Collective. And he's going to discuss the uh, the crisis situation that we're in, um, particularly with regard to events of this past week. On my count, this man was assaulted, handcuffed, and forcibly removed from one jurisdiction to another on at least five occasions. And only on one occasion was he actually lawfully taken by the Australian government to a place in Brisbane. That is, under the Medivac legislation, he was brought to Kangaroo Point Hotel Apartments. Yep. Was that Medivac legislation worth the, worth the outcome? That's a, that's, a very good, that's a very good question. Um, and there are a variety of answers to that. Uh, like many people, since they've been here, you know, detained for so long uh, in Australia, have actually made application uh, to Border Force to, re- to be returned uh, to, you know, to Papua New Guinea, not, not so much you know, to, you know, to Nauru. Um, and it is, has been a very, very difficult uh, decision. Um, I think there is uh, lots of uh, you know, evidence, if you like, you know, that the Medivac legislation, um, was was flawed. Like it simply, there, there there weren't enough you know provisions included that, and the, and that the possibility of actually overturning the government, and which it was historically you know overturned on the floor of Parliament, which you know in um, uh, which gave the which, um, which gave the, the 2019, which gave uh, the uh, Medivac ensured the Medivac legislation was actually passed. But that Medivac legislation, um, you know, was you know was limited, and we've seen uh, you know the way it's been limited by you know what's happened you know subsequently. Even though the truth is that for the first few months of the operations of the Medivac legislation, there was a relatively generous interpretation, you know, by the government, um, so that uh, you know families were bought when that weren't weren't necessary therefore the up until may this year the last people uh was uh, may 2020 were actually removed from uh detention into you know community detention even though they're brought here under the medivac legislation but that 
altered in May 2020, I think because of the, the government's absolute determination to repeal the Medivac legislation and one of the consequences of that was to take an absolutely bloody-minded attitude to the people who had been lawfully transferred under the Medivac uh, legislation. The government has thwarted uh, the uh, you know the intent uh, and the, the spirit certainly of the legislation in two ways one by not providing the medical treatment that people actually were shifted from offshore to Australia in order to get medical treatment many of them have been denied you know that basic medical treatment many of them are now got worse mental uh, distress uh, situations because of their you know, ongoing confinement, the exact circumstances which actually created that mental distress, which you know, was the basis of them being moved from Manus and Nauru to Australia. There, a lot of people are in much worse circumstances now since that shift. And secondly, uh, the, even though the under the, there was a clause in the Medivac legislation which allowed for family reunions, the government has also thwarted that by uniting them in Australia, but actually physically not allowing them to, you know, now into li- allowing them to live together. So even though the Medivac legislation says, you know, families are to be reunited, um, that didn't mean actually living together in, you know, in Brisbane or in the, you know, in the Australian community, you know, more, you know, more generally. So um, I think it's one of those things, uh, you know, where we talk about the trench warfare. I think the Medivac legislation was a political victory against the, the government, but it was, you know, a pyrrhic victory in that the, you know, the, the powers of the government actually retained and the inability of the, you know, of the movement to push back against the, you know, the, the, the government when they, you know, undermined, you know, the Medivac legislation in practice has meant that many people who are in the hotel prisons who have been transferred here the expectation they'd be in the community, uh, you know, find themselves in, you know, such a situation where they've, you know, asked to go back you know, offshore or in some cases have actually agreed to, um, you know, to return to their home countries. Yeah, I suppose there's one consolation uh, in that for the person that we're talking about. He at least has survived all those ordeals and he's still fighting for freedom, you know, even though he's now... In, a, in another situation in Villawood. You can't look into your crystal ball, but you're very familiar with Villawood. What, what, are, what is he likely to be going through now, and what are the possibilities that he has for freedom? Um, look, his situation is not really any different to when he was held in Kangaroo Point or in, you know, in Bida. There are people who have been transferred offshore who are in every form of uh, you know, detention, hotel prisons in the you know, Melbourne Detention Centre, the same way as you know, prison or... You know, in Villawood, um, so his overall situation is not, you know, any different. The, the particular situation in Villawood is that he will be somewhat more isolated because, uh, you know, Villawood doesn't hold, uh, except for, for doesn't doesn't uh, hold other, you know, Medivac uh, people. Uh, the uh, general grouping in Villawood are very long, you know, long-term detainees, a lot of the... Um, as in the other mainland detention centres, a lot of what's the so-called, you know, the criminal deportees, the 501s, who have uh, visa, you know, cancellations. Um, But he, you know, eventually uh, will have the use of his phone, he'll have the use of, you know, computers inside Villawood. In that circumstance, he's not going to be that different to his situation in 
uh, in Bida, but Villawood, um, in you know my experience, is a little more militarised than uh, than Bida. Um, so that situation is going to be a little more difficult. The compounds are uh, isolated from each other, so the general you know groupings inside the detention centre can't you know can't mix. Uh, visiting is obviously still restricted right across the um, you know the the detention you know the, the detention regime. So. Uh, he, he will be a little more isolated, but um, the things that he's been able to do, which has, um, you know, brought down the brought down the, uh, the circo and border force on top of him uh, in terms of you know interviews with you know with radio, uh, getting information you know out of the detention centre to uh, refugees you know supporters and to the media that will able to be you know continue able to be continued. You know, but as I said, he will be isolated from the other. Uh, people inside Bida and in, you know a little more isolated from the Kangaroo Point and you know Bida to report you know more immediately about you know the um, you know the people who are in the same the same predicament you know as a, as in you know a medivac evacuee if you like uh, but you know, detained inside the regime. You're on the paradigm shift. We're listening to Ian Rintoul from the Refugee Action Collective about events of this past week, the forced removal of uh, one of the refugees from Brisbane to Sydney. Let's go back to that interview now. There's one difference that I can see, and that is that he and his friends, while they were in the Kangaroo Point uh, hotel apartments, they were buoyed by by the the continuous vigil outside, uh, organised by both uh, Refugee Action Collective and also the Refugee Solidarity Mansion, and that yep. that that definitely lifted their spirits and made them um, more, you know, aware of of the. The, the conflict that's going on outside um, in their favour, you know, um, and and so, you know, I c- is it likely that he'll get the same level of support in in Villawood in Sydney? You know, they it, they've got a lot of restrictions placed on them that we here in Queensland have actually managed to, you know, to actually mount a very public campaign right on the street outside this detention centre. Yeah, yeah, look, the Brisbane situation is, you know, remarkable in, you know, to that extent, you know, that it is a very public detention centre and it's been very public, you know, resistance both inside and outside. The fact that there's a, a balcony which overlooks one of the main streets of uh, Brisbane, uh, the proximity of people who are protesting to be able to actually converse if you raise your voice, you can actually talk to people who inside the detention centres, uh, inside the detention hotel, people can actually see that, physically see that, you know, the level of support outside um, and that's quite true it's why kangaroo point has been you know a national focus you know for the refugee movement over the last you know several months um people in villawood are deprived of that even when we hold demonstrations at villawood we are a long way uh from the the actual you know 
physical the place where the people are detained um it's unlikely now that people can even hear a demonstration at the gates of uh, the gates of uh, gates of villawood um nonetheless um i'm sure uh, well i know because of you know contact with people who are inside they're very aware that there is a movement outside that does hold demonstrations uh, both at villawood uh, more more often um you know at the immigration department or in the you know in the city you know in sydney um but uh, but Yes, yeah, so I agree with, with that. I mean, the, that lack of proximity, um, you know, has made has make makes the situation, you know, that a little more difficult in Sydney than it does in other places. In the same way, in in Melbourne, I mean, the the Mantra Hotel has a similar, although people haven't got the um, the ability to get on any balconies at the Mantra. They're more heavily you know, con- constrained inside the Mantra Hotel than they are at, you know, Kangaroo Point. Nonetheless. The Refugee Action Collective in Melbourne has been able to, even even with the COVID severe COVID restrictions um, in you know in Melbourne, have been able to maintain some physical presence outside the uh, detention centre, which is a constant reminder that there that there is a campaign. So it's going to be more difficult in that respect in in Villawood and for Fahad being transferred you know to Villawood. But I think generally <laughs> Kangaroo Point has been able to uh, provide a focus for. You know, people who are in Villawood, people who are in Mantra, people who are in, you know, in Mitre or further afield in Yonga Hill or the Perth, det- you know, Perth Detention Centre. So it's, you know, beholden on us wherever we are, but there's a particular possibility in Brisbane to actually keep those, you know, those physical protests happening. Looking at it from a, the resistance that is at a, at a more political pers- perspective and also, you know, a personal level for you how do we keep up the fight for refugees like we we definitely come from a perspective where internationalism is at its at its cause and we're opposed to nationalists like one nation and uh, Clive Palmer's party who are you know crying out against these people but how do we keep up this fight and have real outcomes look that's another another good question um, Ian. like I think the thing is that the I think there's a couple of things to recognise. I mean, one is that the, you know, the Clive Palmers and the One Nation, um, they, they get sustenance, obviously, from, you know, from Morrison and, and, you know, and Dutton. Like the, you know, the nationalism, you know, the racism, you know, that is, you know, driven by mainstream parties is what provides the fuel and fertile ground in which, you know, the more extreme elements, uh, you know, elements grow. And in that respect, I think we need to understand the necessity to keep you know, fighting against Morrison and against, you know, Dutton, against Tudge, you know, as the the people who are essentially responsible for perpetuating, you know, the situation in the in the um, detention centres themselves, but also are the main in mainstream ideologues. You know, it's where you get the, you know, the poison comes from, from Dutton and the, you know, the, and, you know, in Canberra, um, which is, you know, repeated and amplified perhaps by One Nation and, you know, and others. But, um, you know, it's a source. Uh, not that we can ignore One Nation by any means. Uh, we do need to take them up explicitly. But, you know, it's a, you know, we need to, you know, snuff it out of its source, I think, is one of the main things. The second thing is, I think, is having... Having perspective, I think that's why I, you know, use the, uh, you know, use the, you know, the metaphor, whatever, trench warfare for the situation. You know, at the moment, uh, you know, I think people who think it's going to be, you know, overturned overnight, um, are, you know, are liable, you know, to run up against the limits of that, you know, of that, you know, expectation. Um, and it's why we do need to draw.
sustenance. You know, when, you know, Jackie Lambie, uh, who, you know, gets 100,000, uh, you know, responses to her poll about whether, you know, she should or should not uh, vote, you know, to take, remove mobile phones from people in detention, gets 96,000 responses from, you know, people who tell her, you know, that refugees and people in detention need, you know, mobile phones. Um, you know, that is, a, you know, one indication of, you know, of the, of the spread of, there is of, you know, refugee support in the Australian community. Um, I think then it's a matter of, you know, recognising that. And over the last 20 years, we've seen that, you know, over and over again and mobilised in different uh, circumstances uh, where we've, you know, won, you know, some gains. I mean, I go back to a time when I remember there were, there were the, not, there was almost no phones inside detention centres. People used to line up for hours to use the one public phone inside, you know, Woomera, you know, for example. And, um, you know, could, there's a long history to, you know, what the campaign, both inside and outside, has been able to, you know, able to achieve, even though at the moment we've seen some of those things actually roll back. You know, border forces, you know, militarising the, the, the detention centres, um, you know, the role that offshore detention has played, even though we now have what, you know, six times more people who were on Manus and Nauru actually in Australia, some of them in the community. And I think it's, again, one of those things we have to, you know, remind ourselves that the movement, in spite of the, you know, the horror that's being perpetuated on the, you know, on the 240-odd people who are in the hotel prisons and detention centres transferred to Manus and Nauru, there are about 800 people who are in the community, people who, you know, Dutton and Myerson told us would never come to Australia. They actually are in Australia. <clears throat> and are living in the are living in the community, and that's one of those examples of the <clears throat> you know trench warfare. While we you know had the kids off Nauru and then everyone off Nauru campaign, the Medivac legislation, which at the time were actually you know major steps forward against the against the government, who were back in the trenches, you know fighting the fighting the government trying to take those those gains you know away from us and that's why i stress you know that we need sometimes holding the line in the trenches is actually is all you can manage to do and that in itself is you know a bit of a victory while we you know wait for the breaks while we marshal the forces uh, to you know give us that you know that critical mass that we might need to actually push push forward because i i think there's also an old saying that the uh, you know the dam will always look stronger strongest yeah, before it breaks. And uh, I think the whole history of the campaign has told us we can't tell where those cracks can come. Uh, they come sometimes come in places where we, where we least expect, expect it. But the changes that have come, the fact that there is an enormous chunk in terms of the overall political scene, uh, we have actually removed. Manus Island and PNG is no longer a possibility you know, of offshore detention for the Australian government. That's something which the movement has achieved and we shouldn't you know, lose, you know, lose sight of that um but at every every time it means how do we marshal the forces so in the same kind of way in which you know we look to the trade unions and the community which provided the you know the forces which prevented the removal of baby asher from lady salento in in, in prison we've got the same thing same thing at the same thing at the moment we've got to try and remarshal those you know those forces so people understand you know what the australian government is doing inside the hotel prisons the way it's are attempting to support the medivac bill that's going to provide the basis in which we can you know create the cracks in the government's uh, facade and you know push them back um once again refugee action collective and um uh, refugee solidarity have called a rally in march for this afternoon at 5pm at Emma Miller Place. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? 
the more people we get there, the you know, the better. I think people have been horrified by what's happened uh, to you know to Farhad and the degree in which you know Serco and Border Force have been able to use as arbitrary powers to, you know, thwart the Medivac legislation and and really push down on the you know the the uh, to to intimidate you know anyone who you know who dares speak out and every time you know they restrict the freedom of the people who are inside the detentions they restrict the freedoms of the people you know to organize you know outside we have a very very common fight so we should take advantage of the demonstration today let's make it as big as we possibly can and let's build build for you know bigger ones in the future okay there you are people you have four hours to get down to emma miller place down at roma street for that demonstration I'm going to go out with uh, Holding Rivers by Peter Hunt. It's an ode to the Brisbane River. Opinion Police is up next with Sean and crew. See ya. Can you, can you to the place 
I 